The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So we're uh, in this series in Romans, and uh, what Paul is doing in laying out this, this whole big, long book, and we'll, we'll be here for a while, but what he's doing in this book is really, some people consider it uh, Paul's masterwork. It's his, it's his kind of, him laying out, like, here's, here's all my understanding of the gospel. And what he's doing, one of the things that he's doing is he's, he's showing us how the gospel changes everything. That, that's, that is Paul's, really his premise from the very beginning of the book, that, that what, is, what is wrong with the world, and we all feel somehow that there's something wrong with the world, right? Like, that maybe you, we don't all understand exactly what it is, or maybe we don't all come to the same agreement to what that is, but we, we all intuitively understand that something's not quite right with the world. Like, it should be better. It, it should be something different. There's this, uh, there's this a quote that I love. It says that we all have a sense of a memory of an echo that life should be better. That we have a sense of a memory of an echo of the garden, if you will, the garden of Eden. About how how there in the garden, Adam and Eve were created, and everything that was created was good, and there was shalom or peace or wholeness or goodness there. Everything was whole and healthy. And life isn't like that, right? We, we all intuitively understand there's something not quite right, something that's quite, something a little off with the world, or maybe more than that, just a little off, something that's really big, that's wrong with the world. And, and Paul is saying, hey, here's what is what's wrong with the world. That's kind of one of the things we're going to be talking about this morning and the coming weeks. Here's what's wrong with the world, and here is the answer that fixes it, and that answer changes everything. It doesn't just like patch up a couple of the holes. It changes, it alters everything about life. It, it will, it, if you get it, if you understand, if you see Jesus, and that's what the God gospel is the story of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. If you see the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ, it doesn't just like patch up your life. It doesn't just become a part of your life. Like, hey, you know, I'm into aerobics and I have, this is my career and I'm also like kind of follow Jesus on the side. No, it radically alters the very center of your being and it radically reshapes your life and your family. When a people get it, when a people like us, when we start to really get it, it shapes all of our lives and our community, it, it goes beyond into our neighborhoods and our cities and our state and our country and beyond whenever we understand what the true power of the gospel. We see the beauty that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. It changes everything. And, but the problem is that we don't understand the good news of the good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And it's the good news of, again, who Jesus is or was, and what he did for us on our behalf. But we don't really understand good news until we understand the bad news that it's saying that it's fixing. It won't, it, won't, it, won't, it won't seem like a good answer to a problem unless we understand what the problem is and we all feel the depths of the problem. And that's what Paul is talking about in this section of Romans that Brian started for us last week and will be in for the next coming few weeks where Paul is really laying out and you can just see like when you heard the text this morning, you're like, oh wow, that sounds like really uplifting kind of morning. And there is uplifting at the end, but you don't really get the true power and the presence, the, the, what the presence of Jesus means to us. 
the glory that's found in Jesus until you understand our problem. What Paul's talking about in this passage that we're in today is the, this terrible exchange, if you will, that all human beings make. We all, each one of us, make this terrible exchange in our hearts and in our lives. And what Paul is showing us is that that terrible exchange that we make leads to a deterioration or a, or a degradation of our lives. It leads to a, a downward spiral that, that never seems to get to an end when we make this terrible exchange. So let's look again at our passage, beginning in verse 21 of Romans chapter one. If you, again, if you have your Bible, I hope you're there. If you're not, you can turn there. I'll try to pause for a minute and talk slowly so you can catch up. For although they knew God, they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, first thing that we have to ask in this passage when we're starting to read this section is there's a lot of they's in this passage. And so we have to ask the question, who are the they that this passage is talking about? Who are the they that Paul is talking about when he says, although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. Who is he talking about? Who is that they that's there? Well, there's a, a sense where that they is everybody who has ever been born. It's saying humanity in general. It's saying that this has been the case since the first day, Adam and Eve, whenever they were created and everything was good in the garden and everything was whole and they had perfect union with both creation and with the creator, with God and with the creation that he had made, when they, they were in that place that they decided, hey, we would rather be our own gods. We'd rather be able to determine good and evil for ourselves. And they departed, they rejected God, they knew God, they, but they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. So it's talking about, certainly, about Adam and Eve there, but you know what it's also talking about? It's talking about all of humanity since then. In Romans it says, for all of us, every single person is sinful. And the, the, the way this works is that you are both uh, by nature and by choice a sinner, a, a person who does exactly what we're talking about here. Someone who knew God but did not honor him or give as God or give thanks to him but become futile in our thinking. That's what each, every, you know what, ever since Adam and Eve made that terrible exchange and that terrible decision, every single one of us have made that same decision. It's sort of like I've realized as I get older and older that all the things that I, that I wish that I was not like my dad in, I, there's some things I'm just, I'm just like them. Like my feet look like my dad's feet. That's not necessarily a, a good thing. That's why you know, I don't wear open toe shoes for you guys here. Uh, my, my laugh, like sometimes I, I laugh and I hear my dad coming out. Uh, my, my terrible jokes that I do with my kids, I'm like, that's what my dad would do. And I can't seem to stop myself. Like it is both by nature, some things about myself, and by choice that I keep like keep perpetuating. My feet's not a choice. Like that's just the kind of thing. But some of the other things. But every single one of us, by nature 
and by choice have decided. So, so, in, way, so in a way, that they is talking about Adam and Eve and it's talking about all of humanity, but you know who that they is talking about? It's talking about you. It's talking about me. For although I knew God, I did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but I became futile in my thinking. For although you knew God, you did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, and you, you, became futile in your thinking. So first we have to kind of stop, and, and Brian covered this last week, but in case you weren't here and just kind of catch us up, like what does it mean that we, they knew God? And the, the premise that Paul's making before this is he's saying that the that there are certain things about God that can be seen and understood intuitively by every single human being. If you've seen a sunset or a sunrise, if you looked into the, the face of a cute newborn baby, if you've experienced the joy of the, one of those times when you're with family and friends and there's just like that special moment, you're like, wow, this is a really special time. If you've seen the mountains, oh, we were out of town last week because my family went up to, uh, we spent the weekend in the mountains and the, the, the leaves were changing colors. And one morning I got up and I got up earlier than I wanted to get up because Eliza was up, but I, but I got up and this, I got to see the sun rise and shine over all the colors of the leaves on the mountains. And when we see those things, we intuitively know there has to be a God. It says that there's the, this, is, this is what we've seen, this is what we understand. It says the eternal power and the divine nature of God is understood or seen by every single human being who's ever been born, has ever breathed a breath. We intuitively get it. that There, there is a God and he is powerful and we know that he, he must be just and he must be beautiful. He must be true. There must be something about this God that is beautiful and, and the most beauty, that, that, the, the summation of all that is beautiful, the summation of all that is powerful, the summation of all that is wonderful and glorious. We know, we intuitively understand there must be that God, and yet it says we suppress that truth. We push that down. We hold it down because we don't want to admit that that is true. And why not? Why don't we want to admit that there's a God? Why does something inside our souls push us by nature to, to suppress the truth that there is a God and he is divinely powerful and he is amazingly beautiful in his nature? Why, why would we do that? Well, it says that for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That, that picture there, do not honor God, that the, the wording there honors the word, to, it means to glorify or to praise or to exalt God. It, it's the same reason why for some reason, sometimes when somebody is around you and they're telling you about how good something is going, how good things are going on in their life, you just don't wanna quite acknowledge that. It's the same reason when you and I hear bad news about other people or other companies or other churches, like something inside us wants to rejoice because I don't want to admit that they are good. And you know what? Deep inside my soul, I don't want to admit that God is God and I'm not. Because I know if God is God, if he is divinely powerful and, and if he is divinely God, if he, if he is the God, 
he's the one who created me and who I was created for, then that means that I owe him worship and it means I owe him obedience. And I don't want to worship anybody else other than myself and I don't want to obey anyone other than myself. Even if you've grown up in church or been around church for a while and you know like, hey, this is what's right and this is what's wrong, this is what the Bible says we should do and this is what the Bible says we shouldn't do and you kind of keep those rules. You know what the rules that you keep, you keep the rules that you want to keep and you want the rules you don't keep, it's the ones you don't want to keep. Not just you, every single one of us. We want to call our own shots. If we, if we were to admit that God is God and give him the honor and the glory and to exalt him and to the place that he is due, that means that I don't get to call my own shots. That means I have to obey him and worship him and it means I have to serve him. It means that I'm not self-sufficient and it means that I cannot rule myself if that's true. And so therefore, we would rather suppress the truth about who God is and not honor him as God. It says they, don't, they don't, did not honor him as God. You did not, I did not honor him as God or give thanks to God. And that, that kind of stands out in the passage, right? Like, okay, like honor him as God, I kind of get it, but why give thanks? That, that seems like a, you know, when we think about like thanking somebody is something that your parents teach you to do that's polite, Right? So, so, so why would God have a problem with something like me not being polite to him, like not giving him thanks, like before I pray before a meal or something? Well, that's not really the picture this year. Why would you not thank somebody? I think about why my kids, why is it such a struggle with my kids to get them to thank their mom or me for something or somebody else? You know why? It's because you're acknowledging that I am dependent upon you or I'm dependent upon someone else. If I'm thanking you for giving me something, I'm thanking you because you gave me something and I, I, I didn't do it. I'm acknowledging you did it for me. And when it says that we did not give thanks to God as God, it's saying that we don't acknowledge that we are utterly and absolutely and totally dependent upon him. I don't mean like kind of dependent upon him. Like, like I'm dependent upon my wife, but and my life would look way different if she was to be gone for a few weeks. I mean, it would look way different, right? I'd be a little bit of a mess. But, but I, I could live, right? It might be like a way lower standard of living, but I could actually survive to some extent. I cannot survive if God were to remove his hand from me. My breath is dependent upon him holding me at any given moment. My heart beating the next beat is totally dependent upon God's hand being upon me and watching over me and keeping me. My molecules, the molecules of my body are held together by God's power at any given point but I don't wanna acknowledge him. I don't wanna give thanks to him because if I do that, then I'm acknowledging that I'm absolutely dependent upon him. And you know what dependence comes with? It comes with control. If I can somehow make myself believe that I'm not absolutely and utterly dependent upon God, then I can somehow make myself believe that I'm somehow in control. When life shows us, doesn't life show us? Like if you've been around long enough, hasn't life shown you just a little bit that you aren't in control of yourself or life? 
But yet we want, to, we want to believe the story. We want to believe the truth that I actually am in control of my life. I don't want to acknowledge God as God. I don't want to honor him as God or give thanks to him. And you say, but, but Randy, I believe in God. I believe in him. So that doesn't apply to me. As you've been talking, I'm like, not in my head, but also I'm kind of like, you know, thinking about some other things because I don't think what you're saying applies to me. But here's the question. So you believe in God. Here's the question. What God is it that you believe in? Is it the God of the Bible or is it the God of your own or my own making? See, see the God of the Bible makes no qualms about his absolute, utter lordship over our lives. Jesus shows up on the scene, the son of God, and he makes no qualms about commanding absolute and utter worship and absolute and utter devotion to himself. When somebody came up to him and said, hey, Jesus, I wanna follow you, but let me go and bury my dad, he said, let the dead bury them dead, you come and follow me. He claims absolute and utter devotion and obedience to him above everything. Every other thing. But what we tend to do is we tend to create a God in our own image. We suppress the truth, and so we create a, a God that, that, that we, can, we can jive with. So it might be like, oh, God is love, right? God, and that's, that's the scripture. God is love, and so God would never have any problem with anything that I do. Or if he does, he would just forgive me. And I know, like, whatever I do, God, the God of love, well, just forgive me. It doesn't matter what I do. Justice doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Or your God might be the God of rules. And so you're like, hey, God says if you do these things, then you're good with me. And so you know what either of those ideas of God, the God of absolute love but no justice, or a God of rule keeping, you know what both of those things do? It turns God to a God who owes you something. But because if God is a God of utter love and no justice, then he always owes you forgiveness. He always looks over every single thing that you do. He owes that to you because that's the God of love. Or if he's a God of rule keeping, then he owes you like right standing with him as long as you do these 15 things. And you might create your own list and I would create my own list and they would be very different lists because you know what? It's a list that you want to keep and this is the list that I want to keep. We create a God who actually owes us something and it's a God who serves us rather than us serving him. We suppress the truth and we do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But look at this, what it says. Once we do that, once all of us do that, what happens? It says they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It says that whenever we do not honor God and we do not give thanks to him as God, something happens in our souls. It says that we become futile or, or oh, it's, all our thinking becomes a waste of time. You know what futility is, right? It's, it's that feeling of, of waiting in line, a long line at Walmart, and getting up to the place finally, and you've been thinking terrible thoughts about all the other people in the line in front of you and all the people that you're observing around you and the cashiers that are taking care of everybody. You're, you're cussing and thinking all those bad things in your head. That's just me, but maybe it's not you. But uh, this is, I'm just saying, it's me. And you walk up there and you, 
and you, they start to check you out and you reach and you don't have your wallet with you. That's futility. And it says that we become futile in our thinking whenever we do not honor God as God or give thanks to him as God. You know what that means? It means that the nobility of man is lost. We intrinsically know that man was made to be noble. I'm not talking about like guys. I'm talking about mankind. We were all, man and woman, made with a, in, in nobility. We were made in the image of God, in his likeness. And whenever we reject God as God, and we do not honor him because we're his image. We're not the original. We're supposed to reflect him. And so when we cut him off, we have nothing good to reflect, and we become futile in our thinking. Our, the nobility of man is lost. And it says that their hearts were darkened. You know what that means? It means that our understanding, our right understanding of spiritual things is cut off and darkened and deadened. We become futile in our thinking and our hearts, our our emotions, our affections are deadened as well and that we claim to be wise yet we become fools. That's self-deception and honestly, I can't think of anything sadder than to be a fool and not know that you're a fool. It's a great uh, fear of mine I'm going to share this in front of you guys. I have a great, it is a true fear of mine that, I, that I'm going to be around people and I have body odor and nobody is going to tell me and I'm not going to know. I don't know why that's a fear of mine. It's just something I always think about. I, I'm going to be around people and they're going to smell me and they're not going to say anything to me, but so I'll, I'll never know and I can't smell myself and so I'm stuck in like continue, a cycle of self-deception and that is what it's like to be people who reject God as God and do not honor him as God and do not give thanks to him as you are a fool and you do not even know that you're a fool. And there's nothing sadder than that. But look at verses 23 and 25 to see what the next step happens. Because what we're seeing is that when we, when we reject God as God, we do not honor him as God, we do not give thanks to him, something happens, it sets a cycle in motion that starts to, to deteriorate It's a downward slope. It's a downward cycle. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. Verse 23. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, because they, because you, because I exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. What we see here is whenever we, when we ex- do not honor God as God or give him the thanks that is due him, whenever I try to claim self-sufficiency and, and, and self-control over, over myself, then this, this is what happens. Then every single one of us, every single person in this room, we make a choice, we make a trade, we make an exchange. And it says we exchange the glory of God for an image and we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And this is the terrible exchange that leads to all that is wrong in the world. When we exchange the glory of God for an image and the truth of God for a lie, that leads to every single problem we see in this world. All the broken relationships, 
all the sin, all the disease, all the strife, all the war, all the misunderstandings, all the anger, all the lust, all the taking advantage of the weak by the powerful, all of that comes when we exchange the glory of God for an image and we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Remember, we all intuitively know the truth, yet we suppress it and we replace God, we exchange God for something else. See, because here's, here's, what, here's what this passage is saying. This passage in the Bible tells us over and over again that we as human beings, we will worship. We were made to worship. And, and here's, you may not call it worship, but here's how I know you were made to worship. Every single human being has to have some sense of purpose. The, the rabbit that we own at our house does not have to have any sense of purpose. The lion out in the savannah doesn't have to have any sense of purpose to its life. It doesn't wake up in the morning in any existential crisis wondering, why am I here? What kind of lion am I, what kind of lion am I gonna be? What is my value as a lion? It just wakes up and it's either you know, hungry or tired or whatever the different like, feelings that a, that a lion happens to have that runs through its head at the time. But we as human beings, we have to have some sense of purpose. And we, every single one of us, we find that sense of purpose. It's something that's of value. That's what, when it says they exchanged the glory of God for the image of man or the, the animals and the creeping things afterwards, what he's saying there is, he's, he's giving a picture of idols. He's giving a pic, picture of idolatry. But the picture that he's painting is that every single one of us, when we reject God as God, we replace him with something else. We exchange him for an image, for a copy, for a facsimile. You and I, we were made for glory. We were made for something of, of weight or something of value, something that gives us purpose. The, the, the picture there is something of that's worthwhile. What do you consider in your life that makes you as a person worthwhile as a person? That's your idol. That's your idol. There's something every single one of us find that is of, of essential value below everything else, something that I know that, that, that if I have this or if I do this, if, if, if someone does this to me, if I have this job or if I have this amount of money in my bank account or if I have this amount of success in my career or this many likes or this many whatever, if I, if I have this, then I know then I have value. We find something of value that then gives us value. We exchange the real. We are supposed to receive our value from seeing the glory that is found in God alone. He alone is of worth and value. He alone is mighty and gracious and holy and magnificent. When we see him, when, we, when you see him and emote it, bring something from deep inside you, that's of real value. But whenever we suppress that, we replace it with something that's just kind of an image, a copy. God created sex. God created your husband or your wife. God created a, your children. God created 
jobs and work and career. He created all those things, but whenever we take those things and we supply, we make that of essential value in our life, it's taking something that he created, came from him, and it, it, it perverts it. I, I read a story a few months ago. If you read it, I don't remember all the details. I should have looked it up. But it was this man in Japan who became the first person to marry a hologram. Yes, a man in Japan became the first person to marry a hologram. Uh, he, this, this man was a big fan of this anime uh, woman. I can't remember her name. Let's call her Suki. And uh, th- th- there was this hologram thing that, 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 he, that he bought, and it, it would shoot like a hologram of her, and he could, like, interact with it to some extent. Hey, Suki. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Suki. And, and he liked this hologram of Suki so much that he had a, it wasn't a legal ceremony because there was no law to make, but he had a, this personal ceremony where he invited family and friends to see him marry this hologram. Now, some of you are looking like really scared back at me, and it is, it is kind of scary. What he did, and we can, I don't think we should laugh at it, though it is ridiculous, that what he did is he took the image of something and he replaced it for the real thing. And you know what happens when we do that? Our life always degrades and deteriorates as a result. And that's what we do with whatever it is that we put our value and we deem to be of great value, of essential value in our lives. That's what every single one of us do. It says they exchange the glory of God for an image, and it says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. See, for, for this man, we can see it from the outside. That hologram is a lie, right? It's not real. He, he married her, but it's nothing like being married to a woman because he ins- every time he asks Suki something, she's going to say, yes, sir. She's going to do whatever he wants to do. He and Suki will never have a conversation. Hey, what do you want to eat? I don't care. Okay, how about pizza? I don't want pizza. Okay, well, well, how about Italian? I don't want Italian. Well, what do you want to eat? I don't care. Well, yes, you do. And then... 30 minutes later, we're eating at some place neither of us want to eat because it's the only place that's open. It's, but they see, that, that lie is close enough to fool him. It's close enough to the real to fool him and where he is in his life, but our lies, the lies that we buy into instead of the almighty creator God who we honor and we serve and we acknowledge our absolute and utter dependence upon him. Instead, we exchange that truth for a lie because we don't want to deal with the real truth. So one reason, I don't know this man's deal. I, I, there might be any kind of issues going on, right? But why would you marry a hologram? Well, maybe one reason is because she will do whatever I want to do, and she'll say whatever I want her to say at any given time. I can be the king with this hologram, and we do that with God. We create a God in our image who owes me, who serves me, rather than me owing him and me serving him. And we exchange the truth of God for a lie and the glory of God for an image, and then it says, and they worship and serve 
the creature rather than the creator. See, underneath all of our lives is something of essential value and something that's of essential truth. Something that's of, of essential value and something that's of essential truth. If I have this, I have value. And if this goes wrong, I freak out. Have you ever noticed why, like, um, like when you run late, maybe you freak out, but when your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend runs late, it doesn't bother them the same way. Like, like I don't just like, hey, I don't like to be late, but it, you freak out whenever someone is running you late. But they seem to be just fine with it. Why would, why would there be that difference? Well, somewhere you believe that if you show up on time, then you're showing people you're a person of value, and they don't, that's not the essential truth to them. And so that's why each of us, we freak out about different things, and other people don't, because we all build something of essential truth and value. You know what it says? This passage tells us that we worship it. And then what happens? We serve it. Because you always serve what you worship. And you always worship something. See, what we can see from far away with this guy who married this hologram is that that day, the picture that was in the online that I saw of him smiling and Suki smiling and the people around him politely smiling in that room, that's the best that that will ever get for him. Because whenever you trade the copy for the, for the real thing, will you trade the false for the truth? Will you ch- exchange the image for the glory? Everything starts to deteriorate. And you find yourself one day waking up and you can't break free because you are worshiping and serving something other than the God who made you and who you're made for. Lastly, let's see what is God's reaction when we make this terrible exchange. Verse 24, therefore, because of all this, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. See how God reacts to our terrible exchange? He gives us up to it. And that's the saddest sentence you will ever read in your entire life. Whenever you determine something else to God to be of ultimate value and ultimate truth, when you decide to honor and serve and give thanks and worship something other than him, and he says, I will let you go. That's the saddest thing that you can ever read. That's the saddest thing that can ever happen because you are stuck in a downward spiral of your own making. You're stuck in a trap that you built yourself. You see, the real sin of every single one of us isn't 
do you notice that? How the, the order of this is because they exchange the truth of God for a lie and the glory of God for the image, then they were given up to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They were given up to these sins because they had created, had committed the great sin. See, your problem is not your sexual addiction. Your problem is not your drug use or your alcohol dependence. Your problem is not your self-loathing and your cutting. Your problem is not your backbiting or your nagging or whatever the thing that your things are. Those aren't your core problem. Your core problem is the exchanging of the glory of God for an image and the exchanging of the truth of God for a lie, and it leads to all those other sins. They're sins, but it leads to all those other sins, and it goes in a downward spiral. You get caught up in your, the lust of your heart, and it leads to impurity. That's really pointing to sin, particularly sexual sin, and it goes to the dishonoring of their own bodies. What, the picture there is saying that that. Our sin of rejecting God and suppressing the truth leads to our own deterioration and our own degradation. We worship and we serve and then we become slaves to those things. See how deep and far-reaching this problem is? And we are all under it, every single one of us. Every single one of us by nature and by choice are caught in the cycle of deterioration and degradation that goes down and down and down. So if God, if, if I'm running down a path, rejecting God, and God has given me up and there's nothing to block my way, that is incredibly scary, but there's a big but here. I said big butt. There's a butt here. There's an important butt here. And it's back in verse 16 and 17. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what? Because it is the power of God for what? For salvation. I'm not ashamed or afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ because there in the gospel, in the news of who Jesus is and what he did for me is the power to save me, to break me out of my degradation and my cycle that's going down and down of deterioration all the time. It can change by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to me and for me, of all he did and all he did for me on my behalf. You know what that gospel is? Is that he who knew no sin became sin for me. That sin, that, that cycle that I was caught in because I had rejected and I had suppressed, he came in and he took that sin for me. He took my sin and he died for me. He took my death. His death became my death and his life or his resurrection became my life. If there's only two things that can happen, 
with every single human being, either you continue to run down the path of degradation and deterioration by suppressing the truth and turning away from God and uh, exchanging the glory and, of God for a, of image and the truth of God for a lie, or God steps in and rescues you out of that by the power of the gospel. And if you are in that place this morning, that is your only hope, and I encourage you, take that rope. Grab the safety rope of the gospel that is extended towards you that Jesus' death became your death and his life can become your life. His death and his life is what can break that cycle in your soul today. If you're not a Christian, would you see me afterwards today and I can talk with you, I can pray with you. Would you see someone in our prayer team or grab somebody beside you and say, I want what he is talking about. I need to be saved. I need to reach out. I need for him to rescue me from my my own deterioration and my degradation. And if you're a Christian, then just a reminder this morning, a, a question for all of us to consider is, are you caught in a cycle? Because we as Christians, it is not just smooth sailing all after we're born again, right? We get caught back in the cycles of degradation. We get caught back in the cycle down and down and down. This morning can be a wake-up call for you. Say, God, show me again the glory that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to reach out to somebody beside you or our prayer team, somebody in your community group, or if you're a visitor here, come see me or somebody and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I need God to wake me up. I need God to put roadblocks in my way to idolatry. Because here's the thing, if you're a professing Christian and you're running down the path of degradation, if you're running down that path of suppressing the truth, if you're running down the path of exchanging the glory and the truth of God for an image and a lie, and there's no roadblocks in front of you, that is a very scary thing. I pray this morning would be a roadblock for you. And then lastly, isn't this world upside down? That what the, the world around us considers wisdom is actually incredible folly and foolishness. Professing to be wise, they became fools and they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their heart. Don't you see those around us who profess wisdom? But yet now you see they're trapped in their own trap, Right? but yet we also see that the power of the gospel is what can free them and save them for their everlasting joy and God's glory. So let's go when we leave here today armed with a simple gospel that is the power of God to save and break people out of those terrible, that terrible cycles so they can see the, replace the image for the glory and the lie for the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School.
For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.